it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. I am Kyle Mikey, Lions beat writer for MLive, joined as always by Big Ben Raven. It is October 25, Ben. Lions coming off, um, shall we say, um, disappointing effort in Baltimore. <laughs> 38 to 6 loss. Open up the mailbag this week. Got lots of questions uh, coming off of that, that debacle, uh, what to make of it. Um, and obviously the, the the trade deadline is coming up. And for as bad as the Baltimore game feels, this is still a five and two team, still a first place team. Yeah. I mean, by two and a half games in the North, I, st- I still think we're definitively looking at playoff football in January and probably a Ford field. Uh, Ford field will be the site of a big matchup this week between the Lions and Raiders. Uh, a nice opportunity for, for the Lions to get some good energy going, going into the bye week. Um, and and the deadline approaching as well. Ben, where do you, I guess, coming out of that Baltimore game, where do you stand now that you've had a couple of days to digest the performance that we saw? You know, I'm still where I was coming out of the game on it. Like, yeah, it's a bad, bad, ugly loss, but this was against a team that does a lot of the things very well that the Lions struggle to defend against. And not just a mobile quarterback, but the read between the zone read or the read pass option stuff and Lamar pulling back. I mean, that was just a, that was a, that's a tough matchup for the Lions and what they do and what they're built to do to begin with. And then when the Ravens play like that, that happens. So I'm still, because I mean, life in the NFL, man, they lose like that. And guess what? Stranglehold on the division strengthens and the Niners lose and they actually jumped to the number two seed in the NFC. So the sky is not falling. They got their butt kicks by a really good team. One of the game's best players. And uh, yeah, they won't face another quarterback like that the rest of the season. If the season ended today and it does, and there's a lot of football <laughs> to be played, but just putting a, a, you know, a silver lining out there for folks, like you said, they would still be the number two seed in the NFC. They would host Tampa, <laughs> who they already beat pretty authoritatively in Tampa, and they would host them at Ford Field in the first round of the playoffs, and they wouldn't travel in the NFC playoffs unless they faced Philly in the NFC championship game. So there's still a lot of green grass in front of them. They have a lot of winnable games left. One winning team as it stands today in the final 10 games of the season. Ben, I looked this up. Philly plays five straight winning teams starting next week. Uh, San Francisco also has five games against winning teams left. They have much more difficult roads forward than Detroit. Detroit plays half of its remaining games against the NFC North, which might be the worst division in football. And I know the Vikings perked up a little bit, beat San Francisco on Monday night. Uh, Maybe they're coming on strong. But the Lions are definitively the favorite in the North. Uh, It's a weak division. They've already beaten the Packers uh, in Green Bay, and they have five games remaining against the North, a division they've already won six games straight. The sky is not falling. That being said, the sky fell on Sunday in Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) And they have clear things to address, particularly defensively. And I know the you know what happened offensively, you know, three straight three now to open that game. It it worsened um what Lamar was doing to them. But what Lamar was doing to them, I think, is disconcerting for a team that thinks of itself as a contender. You don't typically see contenders lose games like that. Uh, clearly they they still have issues defending mobile quarterbacks. And the good news is they don't face another mobile quarterback like that in the regular season. The bad the bad news is if they have designs on you know, advancing in the tournament in, in January, they do have Jalen Hurts on their side of the bracket. Yeah, and obviously that's like the other guy that falls into that bucket. But man, 
a chance to go six and two into the bye week, drawing a Raiders team that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play last week. Big question mark for this Monday. They're turning the ball over more than anyone in football. Devontae Adams is mad about how much he's getting the ball, and rightfully so. And I mean, it's just a going into the bye at six and two, or even if the world falls again and they're five and three, like that is still a very, very good spot to be in the NFC North. And as you just wonderfully laid out, in the NFC, because the Eagles and the 49ers are going to take some lumps. They're banged up too. The Lions are banged up too, but like it's a much clearer path in front of the Lions right now because like even if they face Justin Fields, who's hurt right now, he can't do the pullback type of stuff that Lamar Jackson can or that Jalen Hurts can. So it really is, uh, you know, Anybody can win in the NFL on any given weekend, but like it really is like a promising, promising situation for the Lions right now. Yeah, I I think one of the interesting things, and to your point, Ben, one of the interesting things I took out of the locker room after the game in in Baltimore, you know, they said the typical things you would expect about it's just one game and we just have to learn from this. And sometimes stars are going to get theirs and Lamar did. Um, But to your point, everyone loses games in the NFL, sometimes to bad teams, you know. uh, and talking to to Alex Anzalone, he was he was talking about in 2018 they opened the season against Tampa Bay when Anzalone was in New Orleans and they were facing Ryan Fitzpatrick, 13 year journeyman, <laughs> you know, had some decent games along the way, but he's no Tom Brady. And Ryan Fitzpatrick throws for I think around 450 yards and four touchdowns, and they score 48 yeah. points against New Orleans. That's the first game of the year. And what does New Orleans do? They win 10 straight games after that. And and I thought what was really interesting was talking to Jared Goff. You know, I think we all remember that game from 2018 where they played the the Chiefs when Goff was in L.A. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rams, Chiefs, right? It's like 54-51. Yeah. I remember Dave Burkett, <laughs> our, our lovely um, colleague, going around talking to players and coaches about how the Rams were reinventing offensive football. Like I remember that week real distinctly. I was actually, yeah. I was at a uh, Jim Brady's a uh, local bar, shout out Jim Brady's mm-hmm. uh, and, and Ferndale uh, or Royal Oak, whatever. But um, I remember watching that game. It was insane. And the following week, the Rams come to Detroit, beat Detroit by two touchdowns um, and they're rolling. Right. And I think they had the best record in the NFL at that point. And they go to Chicago the week after that. And Jared Goff throws four interceptions, uh, a career worst. He has the worst uh, quarterback rating of his of his life. I mean, he, he called it the worst game of his career, um, Jared did, talking after the game in Baltimore. And they won four straight games after that and went all the way to, all the, way to the NFC Championship game that year where they faced – Alex Anzalone's New Orleans Saints. So it's like the the 18 NFC Championship game yeah. featured a pair of Lions players who had faced significant adversity, played really bad games as really good teams, and figured out a way to rally, to to, to fix the mistakes, um, to put it to bed, and to move forward all the way to the NFC Championship game. This happens, Ben, every year in the NFL. Um, and it's I don't think losing to the Ravens, even losing to the Ravens like that, is necessarily like the the defining moment of their season. Um, it's it like everyone has a setback like that. Almost everyone. What separates winners from losers is what you do with the the stuff that happens to you. And so that to me is like what they do this week going into to the the Vegas game. Are they able to like to to find solutions to the the defensive issues they have? Are they able to to find solutions to the injuries they have? That to me is the defining marker of what this Lions team will be, not the albatross we saw in Baltimore. No, absolutely not, because it's still the team that went into Arrowhead and beat the defending champs. It's still the team that has beat three division leaders. It's still the team that you know outside of the game in Baltimore has played very good above their weight class defense, and I mean. There, there has to be hope that that still exists in there. I mean, one game, and like I've said it again, time and time again, this was a tough matchup. This was a matchup against something they struggle with. And guess what? The Ravens brought their absolute best, and that's what happened. So, no, I mean, this team hosts a playoff game. People aren't going to be thinking about this game. Mm-hmm. It, it, it happens. It happens to everybody. It'll happen one or two more times this season. But it, the, the the thing is, you don't want it to happen the way that one happened. That's that's a big point. You know, if this is going to be a contending team, you shouldn't lose by 32 while running like eight plays before you're down 21 to nothing. I think that's a pretty safe bar. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
at five and two, Ben, this team clearly has a lot to play for. Coming off a loss like that, they clearly have um, things to work on. They have injuries to work through. Uh, so let's open up the mailbag. There's a lot of questions about the trade deadline, yeah. which arrives at 4 p.m. Monday, Halloween. Lions obviously play later in that day against the Raiders. Um, but the Lions could be buyers at that deadline. That's not really something we've seen from Brad Holmes to this point, but the calculus has changed. This is a winning team now. They're in first place. They have uh, you know, a stranglehold on the NFC North right now, and they have a slew of winnable games to come. So understandably, a lot of people are wondering, could they be buyers? Um, let's dive into it. Uh, and of course, these questions come from our insider text program. Um, obligated contractually <laughs> to tell everyone, go to MLab, go to any line story, scroll to the bottom. You'll see promo codes and whatnot there um, to enroll for free. Um, and that's a, a great way for us to connect with you and to get these questions. Uh, and a lot of good ones this week. Uh, first one's from Kim Mann, who asks, during fragency or heading into the trade deadline in the past, it's always been said that the Lions are not going to make a big splash since they are more than one player away from making the Super Bowl. But this year feels different. There looks like a clear path to being the mm. NFC champion. It feels like we may actually be one or two players away from getting to the Super Bowl. Who or what positions should the Lions target that will put us over the top? Ben, what are your 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 thoughts on kind of the priorities going into the trade deadline? You know, I think it's the same positions that they tried to address in free agency, but Emmanuel Mosley retours ACL, CJ Gardner Johnson down for an indefinite amount of time with the torn pectoral. So I I think it all starts with the secondary. I really do. I think another outside cornerback is something to watch. Like even especially with Jerry Jacobs a little banged up now. But like I, I think if you could upgrade at that CB2 and find a way to make Jerry that rotational guy that's playing 20, 25 snaps a game, that, that's a that's a way to make this defense better. And not that the safeties have been disastrous, but even more depth there. Maybe a guy that can play safety and slot, you know, so it's not always Will Harris is the next man up. Just more options in the defensive backfield, I think. that is That is the one potentially weak point of this team that could cost them some games. I think, like most teams in the league that could use help, a pass rusher, you know, Aid Hutchinson, uh, great motor, uh, good player, great player a lot of the times, but no real help right now. Yeah. The guy who was supposed to be starting with him, Charles Harris, he was benched, <laughs> uh, a healthy scratch in Baltimore, which was a bit of a surprise, just based on their commitment to Charles Harris and the things they say about Charles Harris, not necessarily because of Charles Harris's production, which has mm -hmm. been lean, one and a half sacks to this point, clearly was struggling. Uh, and he got sat down with the return of Josh Pascoe last week. You're seeing more edge snaps from Jack Campbell. The lines were weighing basically. I mean, Dan Campbell came out and said they were weighing between sitting Charles Harris, this team leader who's making a bunch of money, and Julian Aquara, like an end-of-the-bench guy who's never really been much of anything in Detroit. And I think that despite what they've said about Charles Harris and their belief in him to this point, I think them weighing hey, do we play Julian Aquara or Charles yeah. Harris? And even asking that question says a lot about what they actually think about Charles Harris. And the fact that actually sat Charles Harris and played Julian Aquara uh, in Baltimore, again, speaks to what they really believe they have in that guy, which right now looks like some, you know, there's been tread lost on those tires. Like he's just not playing where he was two years ago. He had the growing injuries last year, just hasn't been the same guy since. So I think they could get some edge help or mm -hmm. pursue it the problem is is that that could be expensive you know exactly. I, I mean edge rushers are expensive in this league brian burns's names get his name gets thrown around he might be the most talented edge rush uh, edge rusher available um <laughs> but they already turned down two first round picks say, for him. Yeah. so like and this has been a regime that has always built through the draft so are they mm -hmm. gonna do they really think they're at this moment where they can trade away? Like the, the Rams philosophy, F them picks, right? When Brad Holmes was there, like, can they really F those first round picks for Brian Burns? I don't think that they're going to pay that price for Brian Burns. Um, but that's one position I also look at, Ben. And then also receiver. We've seen some, they have Amon Ross St. Brown. Josh Reynolds has done some good things, but it gets pretty lean after that, particularly with Marvin Jones not playing well to this point. And now he's done in Detroit. Um, some some opportunities there. Um, but that all being said, Ben, I agree with you. The priority has to be the defensive backfield. And I think ultimately, if they do make a deal, which we haven't seen them be buyers at the deadline before, if they do change that approach, 
I think it, it's most likely going to come uh, in the defensive backfield where, like you said, they've already lost Emmanuel mostly for the season. Uh, they spent big on CJ Gardner-Johnson in free agency. He's gone for the foreseeable at least. Um, maybe yeah, we'll see him at the end of the there, season. Yeah. Right. So they, they have these long-term injuries. Jerry Jacobs also didn't play in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, who do they have to throw out there? And I look at the roster and it's Will Harris. It's who always will. Like <laughs> bounced to the outside last year and – was bad enough that he didn't want to start a job against Jeff Okuda, who was bad enough that he got traded. So not good. Uh, and then it was Stephen Gilmore, who to that point had played zero defensive snaps in his career. And Khalil Dorsey, a uh, you know, special teams guy who had five defensive snaps in his career to that point. So the, 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 you know, the talent and depth mm-hmm. is not good at this point with the injury situation. Um, they are one more injury away from like real disaster. And if they have designs on making noise in, in, in the NFC, in the playoffs, certainly souping up their depth and talent would help. Just some names that I was, you know, that have been talked about that you're able to find out there that might be on the block. Patrick Sertain is the big one, although his price would be pretty high. Yeah. Justin Simmons, Jalen Johnson, Dante Jackson, um, some guys who could be available. But again, it would take a real change in their approach from previous seasons um, to go get a guy like that. Yeah, and I think we are going to see the Brad Holmes evolution continue. I don't think it'll ever be on full on less need FM picks levels. I think Brad Holmes loves the draft way too much, but I'm not ruling out him moving his premium picks for a win now mentality. He, he comes from that thinking. Like, I mean, he spent a decade in the front office that mastered that thinking. So I do think that he's got that in his DNA. I think he's got that in his thinking. Like I said, I don't think you're going to see the Lions sitting on a draft weekend with only fourth and fifth rounders or anything like that. But I do, you know, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I do think those second and third rounders and maybe a future first could start flying around because they are in position where a better player at a spot like the edge or corner or safety could help them right now. And I love you mentioning receiver too, because that's a more attainable goal. Those aren't as expensive. Even those young guys that were drafted in the last two years that teams are shopping, like a Terrence Marshall is the name that's coming to mind in Carolina right now. Like those aren't expensive. And I could totally see kind of, excuse me, Brad, I almost said Dan Holmes, Brad Holmes kind of <laughs> dipping, <laughs> dipping into that and being a little aggressive and not just bringing in one guy, but maybe a mid-tier guy and an upper-end guy. Because, I mean, there are needs on this team right now, and I think that loss in Baltimore kind of did kind of put them under the microscope. Yeah, the loss and the injuries, right? Yeah. It's the team that think mm-hmm. is, thinks of itself as a contender, and they might need more pieces to help them get through the, the, the year. I mean, it's a next-man-up league, and the Lions have done that as almost as well as anyone in the league. It wasn't really yeah. until the Baltimore game where we saw – the lack of depth and the injuries kind of show up a little bit. And listen, their biggest issues in that game was not the injury replacements. It was nobody doing anything. It was literally more than (laughs) injury related deal, but to make it through this thing, they might need some more pieces, particularly in the defensive back end. But to the questioner and to your point about Holmes has never been a buyer at the deadline before. And could they do it this year? I think a lot gets put on Brad Holmes being a seller Previously, because that's what he was. It was always we're going to build through the draft. Uh, they dealt Matthew Stafford for draft picks. They built, dealt uh, T.J. Hawkinson for draft picks. I mean, it was always let's let's be pragmatic and judicial with our um, financial situation and free agency, and let's build through the draft, accumulate picks, and use those to replenish the roster, which we've seen up and down from guys at the top like Panay Sewell, Aiden Hutchinson, guys who are going to lead this team forever, even through the through day three, where I'm on Ross St. Brown, one of the best slot receivers in the league mm-hmm. um you know good good stuff from uh you know james houston you know, malcolm rodriguez has contributed in different ways including at fullback most recently <laughs> um anyway i guess my point is that yes he, brad holmes has been a seller to this point at the deadline and his overall approach has been built through the draft but mm-hmm. that i think like he's a pragmatic Guy, he knows the object of this game is not to win the draft. The object is to win Super Bowls. And the calculus at one point was we're too far away. We just need to have as many bullets as possible Mm -hmm. to replenish the roster. And at some point, that could change. And we've already seen him change that approach in free agency. He he really didn't spend anything on on external players in his first two offseason cycles. This past year, we saw him, uh, you know, $7 million deal. Uh, for Gardner Johnson, big deal for Emmanuel Mosley. I mean, even bigger deal for Cam Sutton, yeah. three years, $33 million, which is still the biggest contract he's given to an external player. Like he spent real money on an immediate need 
that he didn't anticipate he'd find immediate help in, yeah. in in the draft because he knew what this year could could offer. And now we're however many games into it, the Lions are in first place. Yeah, there's an opportunity to seize there. And listen, he's not going to mortgage the future for some rental player. But if he finds a good price for a guy who fits the culture of what they're building here, it's a good player who's going to provide some help uh, and, and talent and depth, particularly the secondary or on the edge. Um I could see him totally being a buyer at the deadline, even if that's not you know, not something that we've seen to this point. No, I'm with you on that one for sure. Let's move along. Uh, we kind of answered this one a little bit, Ben, but um, Matthew Soltziak uh, asks, I trust Brad and Dan, and I believe they won't sacrifice the future for one season, but I'm still hopeful they do something to help the secondary due to injuries. Do you see that as the biggest need, and how would you feel if the lines don't make moves? We kind of already addressed the secondary, but do you do you see any other positional need kind of like rising to that level at this point? You know, it is no, it's secondary at the top for me. You know, both in terms of starting level talent and depth, so that is the number one. But uh, how would I feel if the Lions don't make any moves? You know, I mean, they're five and two, rolling pretty well. They trust their depth. I mean, as long as some of these guys are going to be coming back, you know, maybe you do get Gardner Johnson late in the season, but maybe the Jerry Jacobs thing isn't a couple game deal here and you trust that depth and they obviously love Will Harris yeah. quite some bit. So it wouldn't be the biggest surprise to see them do nothing. That doesn't mean Brad's not trying, but I do kind of expect them to do something. So I would be a slight surprise, but not like I would not be hammering them over the head if they didn't do anything. Yeah. This kind of goes into Joseph Martin's question too, which is coming up, which is uh, Holmes is always dealing uh, you know he's going to do something. What's your prediction? So you're you're predicting that you, like it's more likely than not that they make a deal. Is that right? Yeah, I say they acquire a, a corner, an outside cornerback. I, th- yeah. I think they'll get. Uh, I think they'll get something done there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think ultimately, I think nothing happens just because they are really like they have a very clear vision for how they want to build this. Mm -hmm. And so any player they were to acquire would not only have to be a talent upgrade, but a culture upgrade as well. And probably would need multiple years left on their deal, particularly if the the draft compensation for that player is anything substantial, because I, I just don't think. Like to Brian Burns, for example, like they're not. I don't see the Lions giving away two draft, two no. first round picks at this stage of the rebuild. Maybe in a year or two, when you're at that like you know elite elite level. Um, but this is a good team. It has opportunities. You want to give yourself a, you know a, a chance to seize that opportunity. But they're not going to do it at the risk of future seasons. Brad has said so many times, more, maybe more than anything else that he's here to build a consistent winner. If you go back and read any transcript or watch any of his press conferences, it's never just about 2023 or going all in. Like, like those are not that that's not in the vernacular. Like he's here to build a consistent winner. That's his vision. And so any player they acquire is going to have to fit that vision. And um like I said already, Ben, I think that they very well could. I think he's going to be on the phones. I think mm-hmm. if they find the right asking price for the right player who fits what they do, they'll pull the trigger. I think it's definitely possible. And if it happens, I won't be surprised. But finding that kind of player yeah. who has that kind of contract, who fits that that culture vision and comes at the right price, it's a tough unicorn to find in this league. And I, I just, uh, I think ultimately I wouldn't bank on something happening. It just wouldn't, you know, he's, he's going to try. And, and yeah. if it were to happen... It wouldn't surprise me. No, not at all. I mean, I, I don't think there's going to be any Brian Burns type steals. And I think Patrick Sertain would be a little too pricey, mm-hmm. too. But some of those names you mentioned, uh, you know, now, he, even Justin Simmons, uh, Sertain's yeah. name in Denver, I think that might be more likely. I, I like that, too. And the edge name I think of is, you know, I mean, Holmes and uh, the Vikings have had a line. Daniil Hunter, mm-hmm. rumored to be available. That's not, the Lions for years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's not going to cost that. Crazy amount probably would cost like at least a day two pick or something like that. But yeah, I, I'm with you. They're not they're not going all in on trade and trade and trading like crazy. But I do think that they are in a position where they could mortgage some future assets for fortifying what they've built here in 2023. 
Next question comes from Alex Mason, who uh, is from my hometown. Hey, it's like 500 people in Kent City, Michigan. <laughs> Shout out Kent City, which is it back in the football playoffs, by the way, this week. Oh, congrats, wow. congrats, Eagles. It's it's not to get too much into high school football, but I think when I was in high school in all four years, we might have won like two games. <laughs> um, so it's a big deal. Uh more of the story, Ben. I've I've seen a lot of losing football in my life. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> we're uh, we're now Greenville and Kent City joining a conference together, oh, forming a new conference there. You I know, yeah, yeah. What yeah, could have been? I think before we lose one hundred percent of our <laughs> listeners, let's get back to the the, the matter of hand. Um, Alex <laughs> wants to know um, the Vikings win over the 49ers on Monday night, combined with the Lions playing the Vikings twice in the last three weeks of the season is starting to become nightmare fuel for me. How do you see the lines matching up against the Vikings, assuming Justin Jefferson is healthy? Ben, I like this question because, you know, we're, you know, super into like what's happening with the Lions right mm-hmm. now. But clearly the 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 number one goal, the most immediate goal is um win the division, which secures a playoff spot and home field in at least the first round. Um they beat Green Bay, who we thought would be their biggest competitor in the division. But yeah. right now it might be Minnesota with the way they're trending. And that win over San Francisco was impressive. I guess, how do you feel about Minnesota? How do you feel about the Lions, their hold on the division at this point? I feel pretty good about the Lions hold on the division at this point, because obviously that's an impressive win on Monday night for the Vikings. But, uh, you know, I think. I haven't been too surprised by what's happened in Minnesota this year. A lot of one score success that's been beaten over the head a million times since last season. You know, they haven't had that luck this season. They've had some injury issues. They've had some personnel changes and their young defense is not great. And I I think the Lions have played very well against the Vikings since Dan Campbell and company took over outside of that weird game in year one with the time management issues and missed field goals and all that. I I think this is a team that matches up very well with Minnesota, specifically Detroit's offense versus that Minnesota defense. Like I'm on Ross and Brown. I mean, get that guy 20 targets that game. And that's, that's your recipe to success. I I think, I still think the Packers are the second best team in this division, you know, just based on their potential on the defensive side of the ball. And as love kind of continues to grow and they get healthier, you know, the the Vikings do not scare me too much from where I'm sitting looking at the Lions. Even last year when they won the division, I wasn't super impressed with what I saw from Minnesota and the Lions beat them once kind of to start their turnaround right yeah. uh, last year. And then also in Minnesota, I think it was week three, week four. Um, they went in there and led the like wire to wire until like the last 50 seconds or whatever it was. And that was wait that was in the midst of their really difficult start. Mm-hmm. And that was before the turnaround. And they still took it to Minnesota. And then they started their turnaround with that win uh, against Minnesota back uh, at Ford Field. It's the Lions have won two out of three overall against that team. I, I mean, it. I like the Lions standing against Minnesota. I like how they match up against that team. It's based on what I've seen with my own eyes, um, you know, with Dan Campbell and what he's been doing and how this roster is built. And I just, it was an impressive win from Minnesota the other night, but I still think given what we've already seen from Detroit against Minnesota and the multiple yeah. game lead they already have in the division, um, I really, I, the Lions are not only the 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 front runner in the north but like they 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 should win the division in my point uh, in my view right like I, yeah. that, that's the expectation anything less than that would be a disappointment at this point i mean this would be if the lions finish this season not winning the division that belongs in like the top 5 disappointments in franchise history and that's saying quite a bit yeah Let's get to the next question, shall we? Uh, Ryan Comic wants to know, with the recent loss of Marvin Jones Jr., who do you see as the beneficiary from those snaps? I know he wasn't pr- productive, but outside of Josh Reynolds, we do not currently have another outside receiver, Goff Trusts. Will it be more Leaf running the outside, Jamal Moore reps, or possibly the rookie Anton Green getting some run? Ben, how do you see that working out uh, at receiver? You know, I mean, this is a sneaky add position at the deadline especially if an outside vertical potential name becomes available because while marvin jones you know i mean if if you weren't paying a close close attention you might have missed him playing for the lions this season outside of the season opening game and that's 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 it was it was a tough go for him not not much production in the passing game but i mean i think we saw it in baltimore that immediately it's gonna be a Increased doses of uh, Antoine Green and Jameson Williams. I think they were both up to 33 snaps last weekend yeah. in Baltimore. 
Khalif Raymond, Josh Reynolds, those like like the questioner Ryan Comick said here, those are two guys that golf trust. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you could see them standing pat, but kind of I look at what they did in the offseason. You know, they tried to bring in a Denzel Mims to guy, the a big outside athletic vertical type guy. They took a shot at him. I don't see why they wouldn't take a shot, especially if it doesn't kind of like I alluded to earlier, it doesn't cost you a premium pick or something like that. I mean, if you can get a big outside body wide receiver on this roster that fits in well, and it doesn't take away any future reps from JMO or Antoine Green down the line, but I don't think there should be any attention paid to protecting Antoine Green reps. You know, you're trying to figure <laughs> that's no offense to him. It's just not right now. But uh, yeah, more JMO, more Antoine Green, Green, excuse me, in the immediate. But uh, I could see an addition coming to that room for sure. I think that they're going to try. Uh, I think it would have to come via trade. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think there's any pieces out there lying around on the street that's going to like come into Detroit and play better than like JMO. Right. You know, when JMO's had his struggles, we've talked about that. But um, I don't see an upgrade really coming from the street. I think it would be a it, it would be a trade, which could happen. Like I think you make a great point with Denzel Mims. They've clearly made the efforts before to bring in that big, speedy receiver. Even Antoine Green is a big, speedy yeah. guy out of um, North Carolina. Uh, just hasn't, uh, you know, he's just not polished enough at this point to contribute. Um, I think they're really going to, so first of all, I think they trust Khalif Raymond. And, oh, yeah. And Khalif's going to play out there quite a bit, I think, going forward, um, more so than he has. I think his best position is the slot, but obviously you have, you know, <laughs> a giant in the slot yeah. and I'm on Ross St. Brown. Um, they trust Khalif on the outside. It's just, you know, he, he's a small guy, so it's not an ideal situation. His catch radius is is super small. Um, but they at least trust him out there. JMO doesn't have that trust from Jared Goff and the coaches. Not not yet. You know, there's route issues, um, there's route definition issues, there's drop issues. He's he's dropped as many balls as he's caught in his career, five at this point. Um, he seems like just a he is so talented, Ben, and and clearly they're hoping to get more out of that talent. I mean, every route he runs is like for the end zone, and you see him open half the time too. Um, and they're trying to give him opportunities to get going, um, but it's really hard, I think, to develop, you know, consistency in this league to establish yourself in this league when every ball you get is forty yards downfield and you're catching. Um, I think he's caught five of his 21 targets at this point. It's just really hard to get integrated to the offense in a consistent way. Yeah. Like, can he be a big shot guy who uh, changes a game? I mean, we, we've already seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, Tampa, he changed that game. He he iced it uh, in the sure. in the second half. Um, but he's you're not going to go into a week 17 game or into a wild card game or into a conference championship game, you know, Lord willing. <laughs> and like count on Jamo to catch you seven balls. Like that, that's just not the receiver he is at this point. He, you want him to be that guy, but he's not there yet. And so, for that reason, Ben, I think you're looking at Khalif Raymond on the outside because he's a guy they trust. Um, I don't think we've seen enough from Antoine Green to think he's going to be that guy. They're just like going to do. Every, they're going to try like hell to develop Jamo to the point where he can maybe develop into a guy they can lean on more because he's just he's not that guy right now. Yeah. But they with. Marvin walking away and not really producing before that. Anyway, they really do. Uh, uh, you know, Ryan is right. They do need another another guy there on the perimeter. It's true because like JMO's ceiling for 2023, not his career, is like high leverage dominant reliever. Like he help you out in a pinch. He's not going to be the guy that's going to help you out in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. We saw that. It's just not there right now. It's just not there right now. And no amount of game breaking speed or downfield ability or God-given talent, what have you, all of those boxes is going to make him a consistent piece right now because it's just not there. That ugly interception in Baltimore, after looking at looking mm-hmm. back, I mean, it's like 99% positive that that was on him running the wrong, wrong route just based on reaction to that. And Jared Goff just, like, has not made that type of mistake. Like, nobody knows this offense better than Jared Goff not named Ben Johnson. So it's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, the ability is there. The speed is there. The potential is there. But right now, that's like a Joel Zamaya type. That's a guy that's going to come in and, <laughs> you know, leave in a blaze of glory and get the heck out of there. And you'll see him for another two, three, four targets the next week. And I think that's a good spot for him right now because you cannot keep targeting him six or seven times a game right now. It's just five catches with five drops on 21 career targets. Worst graded offensive player last week per pro football focus. Mm-hmm. And it's just... I don't know how you can keep giving him 30 plus snaps with what he is right now. Well, 
it's to develop him. Yeah. Because uh, you, yeah. you've made the investment already in terms of draft capital and he can break a game in a way that few guys can in this league and no one else can in Detroit. I mean, I'm on Ra, like I I love watching that guy play. Mm-hmm. He is clockwork. Like he is so yeah. clinical yeah. out there. He's like clockwork. He's like a wristwatch out there. You can set you know, your your watch to what this guy is gonna do on every play, let alone every game. Yep. Um, and that breeds confidence in the quarterback to throw him the football. And that's why you see Amon Ra blanketed by coverage and still getting footballs and still making catches. Mm-hmm. J is the opposite of that. He has all the ability in the world, but <sighs> has to figure everything else out. But because of that ability, like they're invested in 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 developing that. And with Marv out and some, you know, depth issues at receiver, I think he's gonna have opportunities to to sort himself out. Um, so that's why he sees 30 snaps in a game and they're hoping for the best. And yeah, everyone yeah. is, um, when it comes to JMO, he's, he's, I think he's a good kid from everything I can tell mm-hmm. and, um, clearly has talent that, that few do, um, but also clearly has a long way to go. Yeah. And if he's going to continue to see the amount of snaps he's seeing, I'd like to see him get some more short routes and crossers and get him some of those speed mm-hmm. motion plays yeah. that you see from Miami and stuff like that. Like, with JMO right now, it's just like ball out or nothing. Like it's literally all or nothing with every target to him. And I just think that like you need to challenge him over the middle. You need to challenge him a little bit. Just trying to use that speed in other ways that's not just a vert or a move to the pylon downfield. And I just, yeah, it's going to take trust, but you got to do it. I keep waiting for the week, Ben, where we get a podcast <laughs> and we talk about the great uh things jmo's doing yeah. you you feel like it's coming you know and we're definitely not like trying to gang up on the guy he is just like a 12th overall pick that people are endlessly fascinated about and i think a lot of people on both sides of the political divide if you will jmo truthers <laughs> yeah. and the jmo haters and they're out, they're out there on both sides um you know there's truth in the middle and yes. um and we're just trying to to provide people some insight into what we see as people who are on the ground, watch him at practice, mm-hmm. talk to the people who are responsible for his career, talk to him a bit himself, although he doesn't really say too much to us, but just trying to give some insights. Uh, you know, we're not hating. It's just a, no. a kid who's trying to find his way. And uh, it seems like weekly we're updating that situation because people are, are so fascinated by it. And there's, you know, the stakes are so high. He's so talented. Um that we end up talking about it every week. It seems like there's been a lot of setbacks, but we're waiting for that breakout. Steve Freund asks, any David Montgomery updates mm. Monday night this week? Could be could he be ready to play? Brief, just speaking briefly yeah. to that, and I, I included. I don't typically include questions like that. That's better for like maybe like a written thing, because there's not much of a conversation piece around it. But I took it because Montgomery's been so good for the Lions, and they were yeah. not good without him on the field uh, in Baltimore. Um, so yeah, he's got rib cartilage damage. He has not practiced since that. Uh, they have not hit the practice field as of this recording, heading into the the, the Raiders game. Um, but it's my understanding that he's very unlikely to play yeah. against the Raiders, and more so they're looking at giving him rest this week, taking advantage of the bye situation next week, and then hopefully getting him back for the Chargers after that. That rib cartilage stuff, you really need to let that heal. You really need to let that scar. Have you damaged your rib cartilage before? I've had two bruised ribs once, and it was the worst. Like, everything you hear about, like, it hurts to breathe. And playing running back, playing running back with a rib injury, I think when I wrote about the Montgomery injury, it's like, that's like a starting pitcher hurting his elbow or, or his shoulder. Like, you're getting hit. You're using that. You're turning. You're contorting in your midsection every play. So that's really something that, like, that's not about managing it. That's not about playing through the pain. That you're you're not able to play through that. And the the way the Lions ride him and the way he started this season, heal up, use that bye week. And like, I mean, obviously there's some hope coming out of the bye because he didn't go to IR. But like, that's that's best case scenario to me is the game after the bye. Yeah, I think that's what they're planning on. But it's been a, a bit of a adventure without him. Without. You know, they they rely so heavily on that running game. You know. Montgomery's been so good, even on early downs, you know, setting up short yardage situations that he can go to the air. I mean, that's how this offense is built, right? Like they want to build the air it out, but they want to pound you on the ground. And we saw it last year with Jamal and how they built that offense and the scheme around it, which is super interesting, the multiple schemes sure. they roll out in the run game. And, and Montgomery was a perfect fit for that. And, you know, you look at Jameer Gibbs's production, you know, I think he had 80 yards in his first start for um, Montgomery. 
Um, he had 121 yards, you know, 126 yards from scrimmage mm. uh, in Baltimore when Montgomery wasn't out there. Like, there's some raw production that's there. But if you look at his first start uh, from Jameer Gibbs, it, like 40 yards of that, like almost half of what he did on the ground was like on three carries in the fourth yeah, quarter. Right. And you like seeing a kid deliver when it matters, you know, in the fourth. Like, that's a good thing, not taking away from it. But you also want to see a full body of work. And even in Tampa, where you saw 126 yards, like, he had nine catches for, I don't know, whatever it was, about half that production. Mm-hmm. He did have that 21-yard touchdown run, which on the one hand, it, I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, did the speed show up on tape? Yeah. Because it showed up a lot live. Like, he uh, had dude, that hole with a wave yeah, behind yeah. him. Yeah. No, yeah, so you see the upside. Like, like yeah. that. that is what we've been, like Ben and I have mm-hmm. been seeing, you and I have been seeing, um, you know, in camp and everything. But – there wasn't much on the ground. I think yeah. he had three carries for nine yards in the first half. And some of that is a function of the score getting out of hand, but there was no success when they did try it. And I, you know, I'm not trying to, to dog the situation, but I think a lot of that yeah. yardage, including the 21 yarder. I mean, if you look at it, like Baltimore is in a pretty soft defense, like in a 35 zero game or whatever it was, you know, uh, I don't know how legitimate right, right. like that production is. And I'm not trying to take anything away. Like, no, I get it. You want to get the kid going, getting his first touchdown will build confidence. And he has, I mean, he's, I'll put it this way. I think, I think Gibbs is way further along than JMO. And I think Gibbs is a guy who's primed to contribute and help this team this year. Um, it'll still be a complimentary role to mm-hmm. um, what David Montgomery provides. But um, yeah, at this point, he's still, he's still a developing player as well. Yeah, I mean, if the Lions put Gibbs in the slot versus JMO in the slot, I would trust Gibbs a lot more than JMO. So I think that's a very fair point. But yeah, coming out of that game, it kind of hit me Monday after I watched the game back. It's like, man, those three three and outs to start the game. It's hard to imagine those all three happening if David Montgomery is out there on first and second yeah, down. Yeah, good play. I, I like watching him play. <laughs> I love watching him. I mean, I, I, I seriously, he came over from Chicago, and I was like, I cannot wait to see what this guy can do behind an actual offensive line. Mm-hmm. And it's been better than advertised. Rod in Birmingham wants to know, um, I'm still a little stuck on the last mm-hmm. game. Like, I think many I of us, it. by the way. Um, <laughs> I wasn't bothered that the Lions lost to a good team, but the total domination has me a bit rattled. Uh, I'm curious, how does a good team look so overmatched? I'm sure they were fired up to play. What is about the preparation of whatever else could explain such an ugly performance? The the question goes on, but uh, you get the point, Ben. And it is it cuts to the heart of what a lot of us have been trying to untangle about that 38-6 to loss in Baltimore. Um, I know we already uh, cut it up uh, in the podcast uh, the other day, but now that you've had a chance to digest the film, talk to some people, I don't know, where do you land on this debate between – like were they exposed as a pretender, or do you think it's just a, a bump along the way? Yeah, a bump along the way. I'm still firmly there in a bump along the way. I think they just got caught on their heels, and they faced a team that when you're on your heels, they delivered 25 jabs to the chin, and that's exactly what happened. You know, it was this is the type of matchup that if it's going to happen to this team, that's going to be like this. It's going to be a Jalen Hurts. It's going to be a Lamar Jackson type quarterback who can. Just keep your defense second-guessing itself all game long and making plays out of their butt like a magician. So just a bump in the road. I kind of agree with our next questioner, so maybe I'll just roll that off and riff off the two questions. Uh, Christian Andresen uh, from North Carolina. Shout out, North Carolina. Home of Ben Johnson. That's right. Um, (laughs) Christian says, um, as disappointing as the game in Baltimore was, I'm fully confident that this team will bounce back strong this week and over the rest of the season. My biggest concern is how we deal, how the Lions deal with our obvious problems defending mobile quarterbacks. And that's how I feel. Um, kind of like I said in the intro, Ben, it's it's not like the, the game in Baltimore like you know, defines your season. It's just one game along the way. You're still five and two. It, it, what's going to define your season is, okay, you got hit in the mouth. Yeah. Do you hit back? And that's what the good teams do and bad teams fold. And that. That is what determines whether you're a contender or pretender and whether you've been exposed um, or if this is just a, a bump along the way. I, I think given the green grass in front of this team in terms of the quality of opponent, which is not quality, <laughs> one winning team the rest of the way, and that team is Dallas, which I'm not totally convinced on. And then you compare that to all the – like Philly has five straight games against winning teams. Like, like things are going to change in the NFC – um, standings along the way. And I think the Lions are primed, even if they're not the NFC's best team, which I don't think they are, not at this point. I think they have opportunities to solidify a top two, top three seeding. But to what 
Christian uh, says, and I totally agree with him, like this inability to to defend mobile quarterbacks is it's not a one game deal. No. It's something that we have seen throughout Aaron Glenn's tenure yeah. in Detroit. And listen, they had bad personnel in year one, better personnel in year two. Year two, I didn't see progress really against mobile mm-hmm. quarterbacks. And now you're in year three. You're loaded up. You got a top 10 defense. You're number one against the run going into that game. And you look like the JV team scrimmaging the varsity <laughs> trying to go after Lamar. I'm sorry, but like seeing That's it true. in person, yeah. like Lamar was on a different plane yeah. than that defense. And listen, Lamar's going to go off. That guy's a former MV- uh, you know MVP. He's in the top three or four favorites for MVP this year. Like that guy yeah. is going to get his, but the destruction he did to Detroit is something that he hasn't done to anyone else this season. The, the Lions did a worse job defending Lamar than all the other opponents he's faced this year. And given their history of defending guys like him, it does give me concern when you look forward to the playoffs. And like, if you go into yeah. Phil and you face Jalen Hurts, what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah, You know, I and that's the concern that I have. Not necessarily that this game is going to blow out their, you know, reliant sure. season. It's that I do have legitimate concerns about their talent ability against yeah. guys like Jalen Hurts. And even hurts. I mean, what do you think the 49ers or the Eagles or the Cowboys are going to do if they see the Lions in the playoffs? They're going to look at how the Baltimore completely dissected them and they're going to roll with that because, I mean, that's why you hear Dan Campbell coming out on Monday after this game saying they're going to implement a ton of one on one work back into defensive drills because when you face a Hurts, when you face a Jackson, they're going to be double digit plays a game where you are in coverage on an island trying to keep up with your guy for six, seven, eight, even nine seconds as we saw in week seven. So it is definitely the weak point of this team. And it's definitely the the mountaintop that they're going to have to get over eventually in the NFC playoffs. I mean, even if it's the 49ers, Purdy's not going to beat you, but that RPO offense can keep you second guessing like he does have wheels. We can leave it off with one final question from Aaron Smith. I'm curious to get your perspective on this, Ben, because it's something that I'm weighing in my own mind. Aaron wants to know, are there any indications that getting crushed by Lamar will help crush the crush the can um, <laughs> defensive strategy employed by the Lions uh, when they face you know mobile quarterbacks? And basically what he's alluding to is that the Lions, with all the skill players the Ravens have, they they thought they needed more bodies in the, you know, in the in the deep field and so they primarily sent you know three four rushers they they rarely blitzed lamar and their hope was that they could basically squeeze lamar into the pocket um with those guys up front and it clearly didn't come close to working i'm curious what you thought of the defensive schematics uh the game plan choices against baltimore yeah i think that what they did works against a desmond ritter it works against a baker mayfield it works against uh you know, you're run-of-the-mill dual-threat quarterback. It's just the problem that Lamar and those pass catchers, they're built to break that type of defensive style. And when you're relying on three or four guys and they're just not getting home, they're not getting home, then that's how those play breaks. That's how Gus Edwards goes 80 yards for a touchdown. That's how Patrick Ricard has two 20-yard receptions as the fullback. I mean, those this breakdowns and coverage. So yeah, you, you I mean Dan Campbell defended the scheme twice, doubled yeah. down on it twice. Yeah. So I mean he's clearly, I mean you know the relationship he has with Glenn, but it's like I don't think you can look at that Baltimore game and go into a matchup with the Eagles or even the Cowboys on December thirtieth mm. and employ that same strategy because you can't, you can't. I mean look at Lamar threw for three fifty three. That's ridiculous. And and, he did it basically in three quarters. Yeah, they were running out the clock there at the end. Yeah. You got to You got to change. It, it was it was um, bad in every way that you can be. Um, I think part of the problem is talent. Like they have Aiden Hutchinson, but mm-hmm. their depth behind him in the pass rush is not great. Um, at least it hasn't been the last couple of weeks. You know, Chicago Harris was third on the team in pressures. Right. A healthy scratch. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. For Julian Aquara, who's never yeah. been a player in this league, really mm-hmm. not a, not a difference maker. Right. So exactly. So I don't think they have necessarily the personnel to pull off what Glenn was asking them to do. It, what mm-hmm. Glenn was asking them to do also requires everyone to do their job. And that's something that you've yeah. heard Dan Campbell talk about this week too. And that's why blown assignments, when you're playing that kind of like crush the can look up front and everyone else is in a, a man coverage scheme, it requires everyone to have a man. Yeah, And that didn't always happen. The big uh, touchdown to Gus Edwards. I mean, you had, Watch the film. You have Derek Barnes and Tracy Walker running across the field one way with a guy. 
And Gus Edwards, the catch is a two-yard pass, turns around. All he sees for 90 yards is green grass. I mean, it's really insane. 1970-style <laughs> running back. <laughs> well, you saw that all day, too. You know, the, the play to the fullback, um, I forget his name, but he said after the game that was the longest play of his career. Um, at, at some point when the wheel started to come off, it was just guys were catching passes yeah. and there was no one around. Like, that's those are blown assignments. Mm-hmm. And blown assignments will always hurt you, but when you're in a – when you're sitting back in a, a man scheme like that against an all-world talent like that, you're going to get picked apart, and that's exactly what happened to the Lions. And it's just a tough ask of a team that's going to be deficient and high-end personnel. Hey, everyone, carry out your job for nine seconds against uh, uh, Lamar Jackson, and it, obviously it didn't work. The other two losses this season, teams have been able to beat them that way. I mean, I think the linebackers allowed like 15 catches on 15 target targets against the Seahawks, and against the Ravens, it was – the linebackers allowed six catches for six catches on six targets and coverage for 183 yards and one touchdown. And that was all the tight ends and fullbacks. And that is just yeah. and Gus Edwards. So yeah, just that, that. that's <laughs> what we got for today. Um <laughs> what a what a bleak note to end that, that five was and so two depressing. <laughs> but I reassure you the Lions are still five and two. They are still uh have a stranglehold on the NFC North. They still are the number two seed as it stands today in the <laughs> NFC. Lots to play for. Um, they have a big game coming up against the Raiders on Monday Night Football at Ford Field. The first uh, primetime game of any kind uh, at Ford Field, I believe, since 2018. Yeah, the Jets opener. And I was at that game. I don't blame the NFL for <laughs> It'll be keeping primetime out of Ford Field. <laughs> Um, but that place is bumping, Ben. I mean, Ford Field is as loud, almost as loud as any place in the league when the Lions are playing relevant football, and, and they're quite, quite, quite relevant right now. We've seen the Lions fans quite, quite, quite loud on the road, even so much so it's becoming like a national storyline. You're seeing on NFL Network and everything. I'm anticipating craziness on Monday night. You bring you know this team home after a two-game road swing. They're in first place. Um, bring them home for Halloween game, <laughs> Halloween night against the Raiders at Ford Field. It's going to be bring your bring your earmuffs, man. Absolutely, and your blue helmets. <laughs> <laughs>